A new men's national team record for the most minutes without conceding, an undefeated record in the first stage, seven points and top of the group. All those achievements and yet the Socceroos will advance the knockout stages of the Asian Cup with a tinge of disappointment as uninspiring performances, whilst effective, haven't provided too much optimism for later in the tournament. The last game, a lucky penalty converted by Martin Boyle was barely enough for a share of the points against Uzbekistan. We'll break down the game today and take a look at some of the other fixtures that were decisive for the knockout stages of the competition on this episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by The Inner Sanctum. My name is Lachlan Abel and joining you today is Chris McPherson. Good morning to you. Morning, Lockie. And Ross Papadakis. Hello. Morning. I was a little bit worried last night when I got messages from both of you saying you weren't feeling uh, 100%, but you're both here, you've made it, and I've made it as well, which wasn't looking uh, fully on at different points, but we're all here, Chris. We have made it. We've uh, risen from uh, what Ross and I would have sold to a lot of people, <laughs> sounded like deathbeds, um, so it could be a miracle in itself up there with that uh, penalty, so we'll get into that, I think. Yes. Well, I tell you what, you're not alone as well. We, we were planning to have two episodes out today with our dub review as well. I got a message from Pauletti as well saying they were maybe needed a little extra night's rest. So we're going to push the dub episode back to Thursday, just your one episode today. But we are here to talk about the Socceroos. Look, <laughs> a one-all draw against Uzbekistan. We, we got the job done. It was enough to get top of the group, which as we talked about last week is very important given the results we've seen, particularly with Japan and some of the other groups. Um, it, it opens the tournament up for us. But in terms of our performance and the way we played, we left a lot to be desired. And um, I'm sure we're going to see, or we hope to see, a lot of improvement in the round of 16. Yeah, we do. I mean, we predicted a draw last week. So it was kind of, I mean, I was expecting that, but something just seemed off with this team. It wasn't really the same soccer as I'm used to seeing, to be honest. Chris, what did you make of the game as a whole before we get into the nitty-gritty? I think there's some real positives out of it. Uh, I know certainly our WhatsApp group was sort of lighting up when the, the lineup first dropped <laughs> and there was a number of changes and there were some different theories and certain people, I won't throw anyone under the bus, that were you know qu- asking questions about where Bruno was. Uh, but <laughs> Wouldn't be me. I, yeah, it could, could have been you, Lockie. I'm not sure. Uh, but look, it was certainly... I thought there were some really positive signs from Cassini Yangi uh, in terms of the game. Uh, really liked what he brought up front. But again, just we didn't really do enough to take three points. We were pretty lucky that we got the one point. And I think Graham Arnold might be saying the right things post-game in terms of, oh, we're getting better game on game. But I don't know that what we saw versus what we'd seen in the earlier games would give me a whole lot of confidence that you know I could confidently say, yeah, I think even with it looking like we've got a softer side of the draw at the moment, depending on how the rest of the games play out, as we'll talk about shortly, in saying that I've, I'm really confident of us making it as far as the final. I'm quite nervous about some of the matchups that look like they're to come. Yeah, so the, the changes you mentioned, obviously, Kaseni Yengi is the headliner. I said this you know, in the chat. Upon reflection, I guess he was always going to be the archetypal you know, straight swap for Mitch Duke. If you're going to take one player out and plug one player in and play the exact same system... Cassini Yangi, you know, based on his profile, I guess, is the obvious pick. Obviously, I've seen Bruno score a lot of goals uh, for Melbourne Victory this year, and I was hoping he'd get on the park. He did in the end. Uh, not quite uh, had the effect he would have wanted. Of course, the other changes, Ross, Nathaniel Atkinson comes in at right back. I think uh, whether it was him or Lewis Miller who came off the bench late, one of those two was needed. I think we're all pretty uh, firm on that. 
County Backus comes back into midfield and then, of course, Riley McGree. We're all saying it. He was exceptional last night in patches where Australia looked dull and, and couldn't find ways to go forward. He was very often the creative outlook. And if he's fully fit and can start every game from here on out, I see no reason why he shouldn't do so. Yeah, I liked Nariaka did well. I would have been happy with him or Miller. Either or were a good replacement, I guess, for Gethin Jones, which I'm assuming, did he get dropped or is he injured? Well, I'm not sure, but he was out of the match day squad entirely. Exactly. So I was thinking like something's something's obviously up there. Um, I was I was quite disappointed not seeing Goodwin. I'm going to be honest. I think he's the stick he's received is a little bit unjust. I don't like again. Jordy Boss isn't a left mid, and if you're going to play a left mid, play a left mid, not a left back. So I don't know. But again, Riley McGree opened the game up. That was brilliant. Backus did what Backus does. So no complaints really. Chris, what did you see of Riley McGree? Yeah, I certainly liked what Riley brought into the side. And, and we know the spark that he can add. We've seen it you know, across different competitions from his time here in the A-Leagues um, through to his club career as he's headed to Europe. So he delivered exactly what I thought he can um, and certainly will continue to do. I think he's going to become a fairly integral fixture as part of the Socceroos lineup. As, and I think Graham Arnold touched on it in terms of the change from the World Cup squad to this squad, which it's you know crazy to think it's only just over 12 months apart, the two tournaments. But there's been a significant change and there's going to be more transition in that squad as we go. And look, I think he'll be one of the, the headline acts alongside probably Yangi as we go forward if they can maintain this type of form. So there was certainly, as I said, some, some real silver linings, but the whole team performance, I think, left some areas of uh, improvement uh, to be desired. Ross, I know you, you were talking in the group chat. You were pretty happy with how Cassini Yangi performed last night. We, we're not sure about the depth uh, or the severity of Mitchell Duke's injury, but assuming he was fit to play in the round of 16, has Yangi put in a, a pretty good case for him to be selected regardless? I think Yangi did everything Mitch Duke did or does and more. He's very much a similar player except with an extra bit of pace and he's a bit taller. I heard the that commentators after the game saying it's potentially a two-week injury if it's a grade one. So we'll see what happens. Unless it's just a precautionary protection type of withdrawal from the squad, I don't know. But I think Yangi did enough. The way he held the ball up was brilliant. The way he made runs through the middle, down the line, brilliant. I loved him. Mm, and, and, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about the penalty now. It's obviously the big moment of the game. But, you know, before it actually reached the handball, it was Cassini Yangi out on the left wing, you know, we get to throw out the big cliche, good feet for a big man, right? And dribbling past three players, finding space in the penalty box and cuts it back for Riley McGree. Mitchell Duke doesn't really do that, does he? He doesn't. He doesn't. And it's nice. It's, it was good to see. And then and the penalty itself, Chris. Um, <laughs> you know, we had Unite round a couple of weeks ago, um, but nothing has united soccer Twitter like this decision, <laughs> a decision for the Socceroos. I think everyone universally agreed that they didn't want to see a handball given there. It seems completely ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, we, I, uh, I, my understanding of the, the handball rule is that if you are supporting your body on the ground in a tackle or you've fallen over or whatever, it can't be handball. But even regardless of any of that, it, even assuming if the referee is found some tenuous link to a law of the game that exists, that shouldn't be handball, right? It's We've talked about the pub test miles ago on this show. It just It's absolutely ridiculous that going in genuinely for a tackle and supporting your weight, and I reckon he was even trying to get his arm out of the way as well, can be such a deciding moment in the game. 
Yeah, look, again, you know, it's one of my favourite quoted lines when it comes to officialdom and what the rules and laws should be about the pub test, Lockie. It's, it just doesn't make sense, as you say. Look, it was, it's one of those ones that you, if you had it, someone had said, look, it was called live as a handball and the VAR overturned it. You go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But when it went the other way, it was just bizarre for that to occur. As you say, it appeared that he had most of his weight going through his arm but he was also trying to almost recoil his arm up underneath him to get out of the way. So he's doing absolutely everything he could, which I don't know if you, you know, if you set yourself in that sort of position and try and physically pull your arm back while it's supporting your weight, it's nearly impossible to do. Yet he was seemingly trying to do that. The ball didn't really deviate that much. There was just so many factors that you kind of went on about four or five different fronts. We had reasons to not give handball. Yet after going and watching the replay, the referee found one, and again, you know, as someone who's, you know, we've talked about this before, you and I both have officiated in other sports. We're not one to bag officials, but I just think he clearly got this one wrong. And, you know, far be it from me to bag an official who made a decision in favour of the Socceroos, but that's where we are in this bizarre alternate universe that we're living in this morning. And, yeah, Uzbekistan could be feeling hard done by that they're not sitting in that spot as the group winner, I think. Well, Ross, you're the actual football official in the group. Yeah. Can you talk us through, is there any, like, what is the referee thinking? Like, is, is there one specific thing that he's latched on to to try and sell himself to give this penalty? Well, I mean, I have a group chat with a bunch of referees in Victoria and we, by letter of law, it did touch his hand, technically speaking. But as a referee myself, when I said this to the boys in my group chat, I wouldn't have called it. I don't think it's a handball. It's a... Where's he meant to put his arm when he's tack- when he's diving in like that? And as a left back myself, if I'm going for a tackle, I need something to land on. So I don't know. It was I wouldn't have called it, and I'm actually a bit disappointed it was called. I think it's a bit unfair on Uzbekistan because they were pretty much had control of the game up until that point, and then it was kind of just I don't know. I was there was one person in the whole stadium that called for it, to be honest, and none of the players called it. Everyone was happy to play on, so it was kind of like that one little kid in the third row who was just yeah. like, it's a handball ref. And I'm like, I don't even, yeah. God God forbid if we start calling a handball every time one person in a crowd calls it. <laughs> exactly that right. was the other thing for me. Like, again, it's that thing like players appeal for some horrendous and outrageous and very optimistic things frequently in games of football, yet not one of the 11 Socceroos on the pitch even looked to make a protest about that. But surely that tells us something. They looked they look as shocked as anyone when it got overturned. Yeah, look, I mean, Australia's had its fair share of uh, poor refereeing decisions go against them. You know, I guess you just take it as in your stride, you know, as much as you can. You know, there was another decision in this game that I thought probably could have gone Australia's way, Ross, and that was the, the yellow card early in the first half that could have been a, a red for denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. Again, we said this in the group chat. I don't think it was an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. I think if it was maybe two to three metres more towards the box, call it. And I feel like it was kind of a leaning into the player rather than like an actual tackle off the ball. So I don't know. I would have given it a yellow personally. But again, two to three metres, I think, closer to the goal, I would have called it a dogzo. But definitely a stopping a promising attack. It wasn't. It was too far out, I think, to warrant the obvious goal scoring opportunity. All right, fair enough. Well, we did our fair share of um, complaining about decisions on Tuesday's episode, so we might we were never going to avoid it today, but let's give it a rest for now and we'll talk about the way the soccer is played. Chris, I think Simon Hill on commentary described it as a 
pedestrian first half and that's probably a pretty apt description. We just seemed like at times we were standing still, not a whole lot of movement. We were easily able to hold possession around the back, but when it came to making decisive passes, if it wasn't through Riley McGree, then we really struggled to move the ball forward. Yeah, it was a little bit clunky. It was a little bit uh, almost like they were resting on their laurels, I felt. It was like they kind of knew, well, look, we're already going to go through. We don't have to do a lot here, which, as we've talked about, nearly came back to, to bite them in the backside, but for a fortunate penalty. But they just that creative piece just wasn't there and I mean to be fair they were probably fortunate that Uzbekistan weren't really creative either I think both sides one shot on target uh, for the whole game so yeah it wasn't exactly uh, something to uh, sell the game of world football to the broader community but you know some will justify it and say that you know we qualified on top afterwards and the ends justify the means but it wasn't pretty it wasn't the free-flowing football that we've come to see from the Socceroos at different occasions in recent games that we've seen. You know, you touched on those stats in the start uh, around, you know, clean sheets back-to-back and all these sorts of things we've been finding the net. But, yeah, it certainly will require a lot more spark than that, I think, as we head into the the elimination stages. And Simon Hill's description there of pedestrians, probably the most succinct one you can come up with. We'll give uh, Jacob some credit as well in in our preview talking about Uzbekistan. He talked about how they get forward in numbers in those transition moments. And that, that is what happened. You know, Harry Sutar in the first half gave away two pretty cheap turnovers and, and forward come Uzbekistan in numbers. They did lock, the, lock it down pretty well in the middle. And as you say, Chris, they only got that one shot on target. But there are a couple of, of you know, scary moments. And Ross, I, I wonder, being aware of how dangerous the Uzbeks were in transition, we saw Jackson Irvine and Keanu Bacchus particularly they they positioning themselves on the ball seemed very cautious to me, and I wonder if that was part of the issue of not being able to get the ball forward, is that they were so preoccupied with wondering what would happen if we turned the ball over, then we weren't actually able to move it forward. And I think that kind of, that obviously showed in New Pakistan transition. I think we were kind of playing like a 2DM slasher attacking playmaker type of role, and I feel like we had a bit of a gap in the midfield in a way. It was very, it was very cautious. We were very cautious. And I think both teams were playing to just get through. And I think that showed as well. I think, obviously, we we were happy with nil-nil. Uzbekistan probably controlled the game until the penalty. And then the penalty, they kept fighting for it. So it was kind of like a bit of... I, I felt like there was a gap in the midfield. I feel like we did a bit better when Metcalf came on and the green moved out wide. Just more consistency in the midfield, I think. And, and Ross, I'll go back to you again. Um, you know, Chris's description... You know, do the ends justify the means? We're seven points. We are top of the group. We're, we're very, very close to getting three wins from three, which we've never done in an Asian Cup finals before. You know, we won it in 2015 without doing it. Are we all just complaining a little bit too much? You know, we're top of the group. We're through. We're into the round of 16 and then we go from here. I mean, it's as unconvincing as it is. We are top of the group. Fair enough. But I'm concerned for the what it's looking like, the South Korea or the Saudi Arabia game. And I don't think that type of game holds up against those type of teams. So it's, and again, like all credit to Uzbekistan, but Saudi Arabia and South Korea are a much bigger step up than than that. Chris, how, how has our performances in the group stage shifted your expectations? I don't think it's shifted my expectations. The one thing that I will say as I guess an asterisk on all of this is if we perform like this and we come up against one of those top tier sides like Ross has talked about, whether it be in the quarterfinals, whether it be in the semifinals, wherever it might be, 
I just don't know that what we're putting out there at the moment and certainly what we put out in our most recent game is going to be anywhere near enough to get it done. And we could be not just beaten, but we could quite well be humbled by some of these sides. And I know some of them have had slip-ups as well. And I'm happy to be the one that, you know, eats my words in a game or two's time when we put on a clinic if we do so. But there's just some real question marks about what we're putting out there. It feels like we think we're a powerhouse and we're going to behave like a powerhouse, but we're not going to put a powerhouse display out there. We're going into these games almost setting ourselves up for a fall because we're just going to go and do what, you know, what will get us to the next stage as a minimum at this point. But the teams that we've been playing against in terms of uh, the Uzbekistans and the other sides within our group aren't at the standard that we're going to be coming up against later in these knockout stages. And, you know, as Ross just touched on, potentially only a game away. And obviously we've still got to get past what could be a challenging uh, game. Looks like Palestine's a potential opponent um, or alternatively Japan or Indonesia, depending on their results. And that could be a real shock for us if we end up coming up against Japan next, because that's going to be a big leap to close that gap from the performance we've just put out last night. Mm, well, let's run our eye on some of the other results. So Group A, B and C have all concluded so far. The first one in Group A, Qatar. Did you guys see the, the goal in that game against China? Hassan al Haidos with the Paul Scholes-esque volley, first time off the corner, straight in the net to win the game against China. Absolute rocket. Probably one goal of the tournament, to be honest, already. I don't know if anyone's going to beat that. But his goal took the Qatar to a 1-0 win against China. So they topped their group. We know that Qatar are playing against one of the third-place finishers, so we won't know their opponent for a little while. The other qualifier in that group is Tajikistan, Ross, and and they've come out, out of absolutely nowhere to win, uh, to, sorry, to qualify out of that group. Yeah, they, I would have even thought Lebanon or China would have got up, but and it looks like neither of them are getting through third base playoff. But Tajikistan's, I thought, it was a very big shock. I mean, they played they played like they should play to get through a group type of thing, right? They've drawn to China, they've beaten Lebanon, and a 1-0 defeat against Qatar is not bad at all. I think if you looked at that group, as Ross said, there was you know plenty of options that could have come out of it. And Tajikistan, the other thing to remember, this is their first Asian Cup finals campaign. So to get through, not only to get through, and we know that you know there'll be a lot of teams that will qualify in third, but to get through in second, clear through, I think hats off to them. And uh, again, they uh, they find themselves sitting in what will potentially, if it plays out the way we expect, be the easiest quarter. If they could somehow upset the UAE, we could all of a sudden see a debut semi-finalist. I wouldn't rule it out with the, the football they've put out there. They they took it to Qatar, and we know that Qatar are the defending champions. Yeah, exceptional result. Uh, third place in that group is China with two points. That won't be enough, uh, even with the other groups yet to play. So China and Lebanon are out. Similarly, are India after three losses in our group. Syria finished on four points after getting a 1-0 win against India in the concurrent fixture. Group C as well, Iran topped their group with three wins from three over Hong Kong, Palestine and the UAE. Uh, The UAE were the other team to qualify automatically on goal difference by one goal over Palestine. And Chris, as you say, Palestine could be a matchup for the Aussies in the next round. Yeah, they certainly could. Um, I think looking at the way things pan out too, I think Syria have been confirmed that they will go through because of the other results can't knock them out, I believe. Right, okay. So, so that's, yeah, so they'll take on Iran, which is a, a big game. But, yeah, back to Palestine. They're an interesting one. Like, they had a tough group. They had Iran and the UAE in their group. So to pick up, obviously, a win that they essentially had to, which they finished it off with, that win against Hong Kong, but also the draw against the UAE, 
they're a side that again, you know, and I don't want to be all pessimistic, but we need to be, if we're playing against Palace and we need to be attacking that on the front foot, we cannot be going out there expecting that they're just going to in deference to the Socceroos and our mighty, you know, higher world ranking and standing in the Asian game as a, as a champion from 2015. They'll like nothing more than to knock us off. Uh, they're a team that's representing a country that's got some real challenges going on at the moment and they're using that to harness them. When you look at, you know, the, their pre-game sort of conversation and vitriol in their media, that's what they're building it around. They're sort of, you know, they've got an us-against-the-world mentality at the moment because of everything that's going on and that's going to be really dangerous for the Socceroos if that's who we come up against. And then, uh, Ross, looking forward to tonight's fixtures as well. If you listen to this on release on Wednesday, uh, Japan in Group D playing Indonesia for that second spot and qualification out of that group. Could you imagine if Japan slipped to the third and they somehow end up in the equation to play the Socceroos in the round of 16? Yeah, look, it's easier if they do come second, which I think they'll take, obviously. Well, they have to. It's that or third, isn't it? But um, either, like, no matter what, what, a big team gets knocked out of this tournament early, kind of like a bit of... Japan, I don't know what's happened, but going into this tournament as one of the favourites, you'd think they'd put more convincing performances up. Powerhouse of, of uh, Asian football, Chris, underperforming in the group stage. <laughs> there's, there's always one. Um, there's always one that tends to slip. And then, you know, sometimes you see these teams that have the little fumble during the group stages then hit the ground running uh, if they've had it early. But I'm just going to throw something out there, Lockie. You know I like to look at things a little bit left field. If Indonesia beats Japan and Oman can beat Kyrgyzstan, Japan will be more than likely out of the Asian Cup before the elimination stages because of the way the groups will fall, and that will likely mean that their group uh, will sit uh, with that, yeah, with the three points. So it does require a few results. Sorry, we need Bahrain to have a draw as well, I think. So uh, there's a good, a very small chance, sorry, that Japan could, if three results, which is no longer, you know, clutching at straws, go the right way, and two of those are very predictable, they could be out of this if they were to lose to Indonesia. So they'll be, they can't really play ducks and drakes to get on the opposite side of the draw to the majority of the powerhouses with this one. So uh, lots to watch though in terms of it. But Japan, yeah, it's, uh, let's hope they land on the other side of the draw for, for the sake of the Socceroos for the time being so we can build into that. Yeah, even their 4-2 win against Vietnam, they were down 2-1 in that stage and they allowed plenty of opportunities going the other way. So they're playing the kind of football which does allow, you know, it's not like the Socceroos where we're going to lock it down and then struggle to go forward. They're going to go forward and then hope they can, you know, keep a few goals out at their end. So a different style of football that opens them up for some interesting results. Um, but I think that will do, guys. Thank you very much for joining me this morning on the A-Legs of our own podcast. Ross Papadakis, thank you. All good. And Chris McPherson, glad you're feeling better. Thanks, Lockie. Thanks, Ross. We'll be back tomorrow on Thursday with our dub episode, as I said, a little bit delayed this week. But thank you all for listening at home. We'll see you later. Goodbye.